0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. We might have cut a little left-sided you know along the way after had done however many of them so he went back and fixed that it looks good thank you guys for taking time out of your life and your schedule uh, in order to do that Esther chapter number two yeah women can come Saturday men can still come you know how to clean nothing wrong with a man with a rag in his hand no different than a lady with a paintbrush in her hand you know amen Esther 2 verse number 7 and he brought up Hadassah that is Esther's uncle's daughter for she had neither father nor mother and the maid was fair and beautiful whom Mordecai when her father and mother were dead took for his own daughter so it came to pass when the king's commandment and his decree was heard and when many maidens were gathered together into shushan the palace to the custody of Haggai, that esther was brought also unto the king's house to the custody of Haggai, keeper of the women and the maiden pleased him and she obtained kindness of him and he speedily gave her things for her purification with such things as belonged to her, and seven maidens which were meet to be given her out of the king's house, and he preferred her and her maids unto the best place of the house of the women. Esther had not shewed her people, nor her kindred, nor for Mordecai had charged her that she should not shew it. And Mordecai walked every day before the court of the women's house to know how Esther did and what should become of her we're going to look at here tonight esther finding favor it seems like with everybody she meets from the low to the high to that in between Uh, but it might not be all that it appears to be i want to talk tonight about this the fantasy of favor the fantasy of favor all right can we go to the lord in prayer jesus we love you god we're grateful for those that have come out lord tonight on this wednesday evening god to once again lord come together and center our lives around your word god these are the words of life i pray oh god help them god to be that lord for our own lives god that they would direct that they would guide that they would help us lord jesus today we're thankful god for the songs we're thankful lord for your spirit god that we have felt i pray oh lord tonight You able to direct us and guide us lord by the the holy ghost in the love the name of jesus christ that i pray amen Let the church say amen. amen you may be seated in jesus name Last week, just kind of do a little recap here, just know where we're springboarded from. I did overlap a little bit there with verse number 7, because in verses 6 and 7 last week where we were introduced primarily uh, to some of the main or major characters of the story of Hadassah, otherwise known as Esther, and Mordecai. And so again, we finished off last week talking how Esther is the only character in the Esther story with two names, perhaps illustrating her attempt to live in two worlds but nonetheless she would eventually and will i should say eventually in our story uh, hold to the name that she was brought up under which was Hadassah meeting the myrtle and the leaves of a myrtle as we said last week only give forth their fragrance whenever they are being crushed and so uh, Esther's life or we for our purposes could call her Hadassah's life will give forth Uh, a very well-pleasing fragrance whenever her people, the Jews, come under uh, harm and come under the possibility of danger, and it's at that moment in time that Esther will finally own her real identity of being a Jew, and she won't be afraid to let everyone know it, and, and she'll prove to be that, but whom she proves to be later in our story is not the lady that she proves to be right now. It's kinda of an entire different situation. Verse number seven says, and you've heard me say this many times, if the Bible calls a woman beautiful, honey, you can take it to the bank. She's beautiful. The Bible says that Esther was fair and beautiful. Uh, the complete Jewish Bible says it like this, that she was shapely and good-looking. Esther, in other words, had a good figure. Whatever that was for uh, that day and hour, And it's even changed in America over time. Nonetheless, she had a good figure, and evidently Esther knew how to use that to her advantage. Amen. Esther was placed under the care. The Scripture says when she was brought in from her province, being one of the eligible or potential uh, young virgins for the king. Whenever she was brought in, she was placed like every other woman under the care of the keeper of women, Haggai. And the Bible says that Esther pleased. Haggai, or she found favor in the eyes of Haggai, and we see that she did because Scripture seems to describe him as acting very quickly on behalf of Esther. Right, they're going to have to have a certain prescription or means of purification of odors and oils before they ever go before the king. Haggai was very quick to make sure she got what she needed in order to get that process started. And not only that, he gave her seven other maids to uh, overlook her and help her and be there for her of whatever it was that she needed. And so he did that. He also made sure she found so much favor now, she, he made sure that she had the best place in the house for the house of women among them. He made sure that she had the premier spot in the house of women among them all because Esther found favor in his eye. She pleased him. We don't know how that took place or happened. The Bible is silent on what it was exactly. Uh, that she pleased him with, or how she found favor uh, with Haggai, but nonetheless she did it. Furthermore, when when she could take, and it was her night to go in with. Uh, the pagan king Ahasuerus, as each of these ladies would have. And history says, and Josephus, different ones. Some have a number that vary. It could have been from hundreds to to thousands of women. That could have been potential ones. So every night he's spending one night with one of these ladies. So you understand that this could have been quite a process. Every night a new lady's coming in too. And the Bible says she would go in at evening and she would leave the next day. Uh, so, you know, I'll leave you to your own inventions, but nonetheless, all these different women each night, a different one. And whenever they went in before the king, uh, Haggai, the keeper, the women gave them uh, a little lenience that they could take whatever they desired with them before the king. Uh, whether it was, you know, it could run the gamut of things, whether it was other perfume or a certain outfit, or it doesn't tell us what those things are, but whatever they desired they could take with them with their night before the king, and that was extended to everybody that went before the king. Yet the Bible tells us in verses 13 and 15 that whenever it was Esther's night to go in before the king that she didn't ask to take anything else with her. She didn't ask for, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know channel number seven or whatever it is Chanel or she didn't you know she didn't ask for anything in particular to take along with her she just went in the night with the king but she did ask Haggai what she should do she asked his advice. Notice Esther chapter number two and verse number 15. Now, when the turn of Esther, the daughter of Abahel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her for his daughter, was come to go into the king, she required nothing but what Haggai, the king's chamberlain, the keeper of the women, appointed. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all them that looked upon on. Her. And so she didn't require anything except what Haggai said to take, which, you know, on the surface level, it seems very wise because he has audience with the king every once in a while. He's in this position of being the keeper of the women. He might know what the king likes, right? And so he, she's dependent upon him and his opinion. But the Bible says there's a series of events then that happens. It even tells us then that Esther pleases everybody that looks upon her. She's pleased Haggai. Evidently, she's pleased the servants that went to look for these virgins or she'd never even be where she is right now. So she had to please them. She found favor with Haggai. She's found favor virtually with everybody. Verse number 15 says, but here's what we must understand about her finding favor or as the Bible describes her as pleasing all these different people. When it says she pleases or she obtains favor, literally, in the old Hebrew language, it means she lifted up up favor. In other words, Esther was working for the outcome. She influenced the favor she received. The kindness and the acceptance that she obtained, whether it was from Haggai or these other men or the king that we'll see here very soon or everybody, the acceptance and kindness that she received, she she actively jockeyed for. She competed. She competed, competed to win their favor. Therefore, when we understand this, Esther's success in the Persian world, no doubt her good looks is to account for something, right? Her shapely form, however that is, but also she pleasing all of those around her because Esther is going with the flow of Persia. Right? If you don't like conflict, you just go with the flow of whatever's happening. If you don't want to stand out, then become as everybody else is. Amen? Amen? And so she's pleasing everyone, Sister Melinda. I mean, who in the world, honestly, who in the world can please anyone they've ever met and find favor with everybody they ever met? No one. No one. Unless you're always scratching where they itch. Amen. Proverbs 31.30 says, concerning the virtuous woman, favor is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Esther, at this particular point in time in her life where she is, Esther is a compliant individual to a fault. To a fault. She desires to take nothing with her into that night before the king except for what Haggai says to take, why? Because Haggai knows what's going to please the king. Right? And again, she's smart in the fact maybe he knows what pleases the king so that's what I'll take. But look, she's attempting to please, listen, she's attempting to please a world and a king that she was not of. She is a Jew, but she's attempting to please something, a world, and a pagan king that was not her own. And so this favor that she got from Haggai, from everybody, from the king, from the servants that went looking for him, all of this, this was nothing but Esther blending in and causing no waves among the Persian empire. Don't want to do that because you won't find favor whenever you step on somebody's toes. Come on. That's right. Amen. Mm-hmm. You, you, you won't find favor if you don't become the chameleon that just blends in with your environment. And this, though, totally contrasts right Vashti who had been with the king before because we had Vashti, the one that looked like non-compliant. I'm not coming to save my own dignity, and now we have Esther Hey, God, just tell me whatever it is I need to take to the king. Right? Whatever he wants. And so the fact of the matter is this. You say, Brother McGee, you telling us to be all hard-nosed and all that? No, 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 no. There's nothing wrong with compliance as as long as compliance doesn't cause you disobedience. Amen. Compliance with the world, that means disobedience to God. That's the deal-breaker that's the deal breaker because let's stop here for a moment the jews were ever taken to babylon in exile because of disobedience their their 70 years was because for 490 or so years they they were disobedient to god they they did not keep Uh, if you will that the sabbatical year and they didn't do certain things and as a result of that of their disobedience they find themselves in exile for that matter Mordecai and Esther are still in Babylon in an exile in Persia why because of disobedience not going home to rebuild the city not going home to rebuild the temple and so think with me for a moment when we think about this All of this Esther story happens 50 years after King Cyrus gave the decree, go home and build your temple, Jerusalem. Go home and rebuild all that. This story happens 50 years after that. Now listen, whenever they went out to search for the, the, the young possible virgins uh, for King Ahasuerus. They went all throughout the 127 provinces, which Jerusalem and Judah was one of those provinces of the Persian Empire. And so they could have very easily stumbled on Esther had she went back home or had she not went back home. But just wait with me for a moment. But had she went back home when this all occurred 50 years before? And I'm just thinking here, all right, this is just thinking There's a good chance that maybe Esther wouldn't have been single. I'm just talking. Maybe she wouldn't have been single. Maybe she'd already been married if she went home. There's one thing I know for sure. She would have for sure been known as a Jewish woman. Her identity would have been undeniably known if 50 years earlier they had went back home rather than stay in exile. And so Esther, we look at her, and I know I'm taking some of y'all's all thoughts of Esther and turning it all on your head, and I'm sorry. Apologize. Didn't mean to hurt your feelings. But Esther, we look at her, and we're like, oh, look at her, man. She found favor with the king. Yeah, but it wasn't the king of kings, see? There's a lot of times we tell the Esther story, and everything that she does is though this king is a Jewish king and that he's King Jesus, and he's not. He's a pagan, heathen king that serves false gods. All right? And so when we understand all that, we look at her like, oh, Esther's really progressing. But in what? She's progressing in the kingdom of Persia. At the expense, at the expense, all the while, digressing from the kingdom and the scruples of God. Her advancement in that world is because she suppressed her true identity. What worth is that? What worth is that? And so, what we got to ask ourselves as modern-day Christians, then, considering Esther and her story, living in a world that's not her own, as we live in a world that's not our own as strangers and pilgrims, what we got to be asking ourselves the question is this: Am I advancing in this world that I live in at the cost of my spiritual identity? Am I rising to the top all the long trying to hold on to the morals and the faithfulness of God or am I letting them go to get where I'm at? Because listen, this was not the case with every individual that found themselves in a world that was foreign to them. Because we have other stories in the Bible like Joseph, who was a Hebrew that was found in Egypt under the Potiphar's and the Pharaoh's. We have the Daniels that was carried away into captivity, rose to some manner of hierarchy in that place, but held on to. Can we discuss it just a little bit? Because both Joseph and Daniel also found themselves in quote-unquote strange worlds that were not their own, serving under foreign powers, foreign kings, but they did not hide their identity. They did not hide their identity. As a matter of fact, we see them staying faithful to their morals and we see them staying faithful to their Jewish heritage. Joseph looked at it. Now look at it, he's in Potiphar's house. He is, he is like a servant to the master. And, and matter of fact, the Potiphar said, really, you have everything right here. He says, really, you're the commander of my household. I, I entrust everything to you. And yet whenever his wife started batting the eyes and doing the allurements of come lay with me, Joseph, a man that was not about his morals, huh, He's in a strange land, Brother Zach. His, his dad even thinks he's dead. Who would ever know? Oh, God. Who would ever know if I slipped in bed with Potiphar and had a little rendezvous one night? This is a foreign world. There's foreign, this, this is strange people. I can slip out of my morality for a moment. I mean, the environment, the environment seems to be very supportive of that anyway, in which I'm out. Yeah. Right. Oh. Yeah, right. mm-hmm. Yet we know very explicitly that Joseph told her what? He says, I can't do this thing. Go on, well, I can't do this. If I do this, this is wickedness. This is sinning against who? This Look, he brings God into the picture. If I were to lay in the bed with you, though your husband entrusted everything to me, I'm pretty sure he didn't entrust you with me, uh, or, or yeah, you with me. And so I can't do that because this would be sin against what? Here's his morals. Here's still yet his 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 identity of being a Hebrew. His God that would be sinning against God. Oh, Joseph, you're in a foreign land. There's all kinds of people around you. Everybody's doing it. Not this boy. I'm just here right now. Amen. Amen. So he held true and he held faithful, amen, to those things. Daniel, the Bible says, he's taken from his homeland what he's, what he's familiar with. He's taken to Babylon. He's under Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. They're going to feed him all the dainties of the king's meat. They're going to give him wine to drink of the king's table. And before the invitation was ever given, the Bible tells us in Daniel, I think it's chapter 1, that Daniel purposed in his heart... Not to eat the meats of the king's table or drink his wine. Why? Because to do so, number one, would to go against God and go against his identity as a Hebrew. He would be transgressing the law and transgressing against his God. And before the invitation was ever given, he had already purposed in his heart he wasn't going to do it. He's out of his world. Right? Right? Now, compliance would say he should have ate. He should have drank. He was in their world. That would have been fine if the eating and drinking wouldn't have been sin against his God. See, we got to define the lines. Not everything we do in this life is sin here in this world. But in those moments it does become that, that's where we cannot be compliant amen Daniel was dedicated to God listen his dedication was so much to God he he knew and the people around him knew this wasn't something hidden he wasn't wasn't a secret disciple right he's not a Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night or Joseph Armathia standing over in the shadows people knew he was so dedicated to God he rose listen to me Daniel rose they have all these provinces that Among the people, Daniel was one of the three primary presidents underneath Nebuchadnezzar to rule then all the princes that were under the three presidents. Here's the hierarchy. Nebuchadnezzar, three presidents, one in which Daniel was a part of, and then you have all these princes that are over the provinces. He rose in a foreign world, brother Fred, but not by hiding who he was he rose as a one of three presidents in the hierarchy of a foreign world by owning who he was so don't tell me you got to be like esther in order to make it in a world that's not your own because daniel made it to a place of similar stance as esther but by owning who he was we got a mark out of our minds that you got to hide your identity or being a Christian all this stuff in order to advance in this world that is hogwash that, that, is, that, is, not, that is not what I read in scripture and so his, his identity is so known that what do they do these other people have it out for Daniel right because he has advanced to where he is. They're like, just like, any, just like any corporate ladder, brother Alex, it's just dog eat dog. Somebody, if they can rise to the top by stepping on somebody else, so be it. And so what are they looking for? They're looking for some error. They're looking for something they can pin on Daniel in order, to send him below them. They're looking for some fault in him. Look though, they could not find any fault And so they decided, since we can't find any error, we'll use his dedication to his God. Huh? This is so known among them that when they couldn't put a mark on his life, we'll use his dedication to God against him. And that's what they did. They went to the king and said, oh, king, said let's make it for 30 days that no one would uh, uh, adjure anybody except you go king and anybody that would that they'd be thrown in the, the lions, then right and what happened look at the scripture if you will verse number six or verse number seven of daniel six They're looking for occasion against him. All the presidents of the kingdom and the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together, established a royal statute to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any God or man for 30 days, save thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Skip down to verse number 10 and look at this. This This is Daniel. I smile when I read this. And when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, Number one, we need to understand, Daniel's not oblivious about the writing. He's not ignorant about it. It says, when he knew it was signed, thus enforced, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Here's a man that's not trying to be compliant because compliance in this episode would mean disobedience to his God. And so he has to weigh in the balance right now. Is this a place where compliance counts or obedience to God counts? And obedience to God always outweighs compliance to the world. No. He said when he knew it was written and signed, I've taught in the book of Acts, there are moments of time there needs to be civil disobedience and it's whenever what is being asked of you is absolutely against God in his word. Amen. They're probably tagging me right now on Facebook Live. Amen. But Daniel didn't get to where he was by hiding, but by owning. He knew the danger But he continued to pray, as he did. Let's even, he did that while he was in Babylon, but let's even back it up. Daniel, did you practice that when you was in your land? You hear me? Did you practice that when you were in your land at home? So are you gonna change that now that your environment's changed? Or are you going to be something at home that you're not other places? Way in compliance, yeah. and then disobedience to God. All right, and so when we look at Joseph and Daniel in these instances, the way in which they carried themselves, their actions contrast Sister Esther. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Because in order for her to go forward like she has in the kingdom of Persia, at least from what we can gather, and even telling us twice in chapter two that she did not make her people nor her kindred known, then she must be doing this. She must have adopted the customs of Persia, right? In order not to be distinguished as a Jewish woman in Persia. Mm-hmm. Again, twice we're told in this chapter, she did not show her people nor her kindred. She kept that she was a Jew a secret because Mordecai had instructed her to do so. Yeah. So go, man, go do what you, you know, go do everything you want to do in the world as long as it doesn't slide you into disobedience with your God. Because there's nothing even wrong. Listen, there's nothing wrong with Esther respecting the Persian authority. There's nothing wrong with her finding favor among them if it isn't at the expense of her identity. Because in order to find favor at the expense of your identity, that spells a different word. Not compliance, compromise. Compromise. Amen. Acts 5 and verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, this is, this is Peter and John, saying, did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in his name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine.'" and intend to bring this man's blood upon us then peter and the other apostles answered and said we ought to obey god rather than man peter and john was heavily involved in this and they're basically telling the council that if you expected i know you released this and you said don't be speaking in the name of jesus but if that's what you really expected then you need to prepare yourself to be surprised when it happens Huh? You, you need to be prepared whenever it happens because despite of what the judges say and what their actions are, all of that is immaterial because uh, mostly our first priority is obeying God. And to follow just the request of the council to not speak in his name or do any of that would have been direct disobedience to the Lord who told them to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now here's the fact of the matter folks and I'm not lying to you standing on the Bible telling the truth I'm not lying to you taking a stand will do two things it'll either bring respect or you'll be ridiculed and many don't want to take a stand because of the ridicule but you'll either be ridiculed or you'll be given respect whenever daniel told them that he had purpose i'm not going to eat the king's danities or his meat whenever daniel said that you know what they did they respected him after a 10-day period of time his flesh of his skin and those that were with him it was more plump he, he, he looked healthier than those had who had ate of the king's dignities they respected him for what he did when those three hebrew boys that we call by their babylonian name shadrach meshach and abednego right Whenever they would not bow, Sister Melian, when the music was played down to the image, they were ridiculed. Fire up that furnace seven times hotter. They were thrown in, but guess what? Their God showed up as the fourth man in the fire. They came out without the smell of smoke or anything singed upon them. They were ridiculed. They were ridiculed, but look. Later, after it was all said and done, They're respected because after they came out of the fire, you know what the king said? He said, listen here, I'm making a decree. This is what he said. You look at Daniel 3, verse number 29. The king made a decree that anybody that spoke against the God of these three, harm's going to come your way if you say anything about them. Why? Because they suffered the ridicule until they came to a place of respect. Now, here's the thing. You may be ridiculed when it all first happens. But if you'll live an unchangeable life, You hearing me? If you'll live an unchangeable life, they'll respect you for the way you live. And listen, we are living listen, we are living in a day, you know, I know whenever I was a younger kid, is like some of the stuff's like, oh, crazy, they're so different. Listen, you tell me what animal group is not different in our world today. We thrive on different. Yeah, come on. Huh? I was having I was eating with a, Uh, pastor's wife and pastor superintendent up in ohio and she was telling me about troy ohio talking about they literally have now in their school a litter box for those that identify as furry creatures meaning cats absolutely and those for dogs as well just go and pee on the floor for people that yes i know you live in mount Carmel. we live sheltered lives you need to get it broaden the world view There are places like it. Now, that's different. That's different. And you're worried? You're worried about subscribing as being a Christian? You're worried? You're worried about your lifestyle and the way you speak and where you go or don't go and how you operate? And you... Listen... We have it better in our generation than any generation because anything under the sun is being accepted today. You should feel more at liberty today to say that I am a Christian and not give no bones about or to care about it than anybody else because everybody else is doing what they want to do. You are living in one of the most safest times to identify as a Christian than any other generation. Yeah. But we still don't. Come on. Oh, yeah, I could tell you. We could even have more conversation about this when this is done, but nonetheless. Esther chapter, or verse number 12 of our setting of scripture. Now when every maid's turn was come to go in to King Ahasuerus, after that she had been 12 months according to the manner of the women, for so were the days of her purification accomplished to wit, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with sweet odors and with other things for the purifying of the women. Then thus came every maiden unto the king. Whatsoever she desired, we've talked about this, was given her to go with her out of the house of the women and to the king's house. In the evening she went, and on the morrow she returned into the second house of the women to the custody of Sheazgaz, the king's chamberlain, which kept the concubines which came into the king no more except the king delight in her and that she were called by name. Now when the turn of Esther, the daughter of Abahel, the son of Mordecai, we have read this, who had taken her for his daughter was come to go in unto the king, she required nothing but what Haggai, the king's chamberlain, the keeper of woman appointed. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all them that looked upon her. Verse 16. So Esther was taken into the king Ahasuerus, into the house royal in the 10th month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. I just got to stop for a moment and tell you, I just can't really, I'm thinking back just what, before we read the scripture and all this stuff, about how anything is acceptable today and yet people still have a hard time ex- accepting the Lord and living for the Lord in an hour when anything goes. Bishop, in your day they threw eggs and they did everything else to the pastors while they preached. They preached. You're ostracized to the nth level. But today you're just another division of this conglomerate we call humanity that's choosing their route. <sighs> okay, let's go on. I'm sorry. Just, it's real heavy. Just uh. So yes, Mordecai constantly checked on Esther and her welfare and prominently her advancement uh, in this kingdom. They say that Ahasuerus you know, if he had like, you know, hundreds or thousands of women that he had each night, many believe that it was his loss even to Greece that may have caused this overindulgence because Vashti's not there anymore and he's just like, you know, sometimes even as people we overcorrect, right? Uh, rather than meeting halfway, we like take the steering wheel and go to the other ditch. You know, it's just, uh, and so he has this indulgence of uh, of sexual pleasures. And so whenever a, a maiden returned from her night with the king the following day, she returned to a different house, okay? She's not, of course, now among the young virgins, but she's among the concubines. She is among those women under a different keeper. And here's the thing. She had her one night with the king. And if she wasn't pleasing in the moment to be queen, she may never see the king ever again. Except if maybe she might, he might remember one of their names and say, oh yeah, <laughs> bring Betsy. Yeah, I haven't seen Betsy in a while. It's been, I remember her, she's kind of cute. What I'm telling you is this. They chanced their whole lives on one night with a king that may never receive him, them again in his presence. who cared enough about them for one night, but maybe never again. I don't know if you see the contrast of our worlds here. Huh? Because sometimes the enemy is interested in us until he has us. He cares, he's interested, but once you're in, <laughs> write him off. But my king, it's not one night with the king, it's eternity with the king. You become of a body of members the Bible describes not just his church but his bride. We become, we become his. Joyce Baldwin said it like this. She says the prestige of living in the royal palace was a small compensation for the king's neglect. Just one night what they got and so by concealing her identity Esther she knew when she concealed her identity she's going to have to go through 12 months of purification 6 months of myrrh 6 months of sweet odors and other things what are the other things brother I don't know they didn't tell me what they were but just think of what it might be for other things in order to get you ready to see the king for one night with a heathen king Esther you're doing all this you found favor you've jockeyed for that you've competed for that for one night with a king that that might be all you ever get And then you're gonna be taken to another man and another quarters of the concubines where you're gonna live out your eternity in essence like a widow. That's what you signed up for, Esther. And so, listen, Esther does all this. 12 months of purification, she does all this for what? A worldly empire. Someone hearing me? She does all this for a worldly king. I ask you this question tonight. What are we willing to abide by or what type of purification are we willing to subject ourselves to not just one night with a worldly king but a lifetime with the king of kings. Esther's willing to do all of that even if it's just for one night. Man. Man. And yet I have a promise that he'll be mine. If I will just but accept him and walk humbly before him. And so she's taken, the Bible says, and I got to (sighs) hurry. She's taken for her night of the king, the 10th month. The Bible says it was the seventh year of his reign. Whenever this whole Esther story began and the banquet was and everything happened, the Bible says it was the third year of his reign. So four years have transpired since Vashti was disposed to this night of the king with Esther. And so here it is, right? Yes, there was 12 months of purification, so there's a year of that four years taken up. Then they had to search out and find these virgins. I don't know how long that happened, so that took some time. And so, yes, we're four years removed from Vashti's debacle, and here she is coming in as an eligible virgin. Verse number 17, we gotta, we're gonna get done with chapter two, okay? Verse number 17, and the king loved Esther. Who's surprised, Who's surprised about that? And the king loved Esther, above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor. There it is again. In his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen, here it is, instead of Vashti. And the king made a great feast unto all his princes. Oh, banquet time again, is it? He made a great feast unto all his princes and the servants, even Esther's feast. What, Esther's got a feast? Boy, that sounds familiar. I remember Vashti having a feast. Esther and Esther's feast. And he made a release to the provinces, which means he probably uh, allayed some of their taxation and gave gifts according to the state of the king. And when the virgins were gathered together the second time when Mordecai sat in the king's gate, here we are, here we are. Esther, she got it, man. She went for that one night stab and she got love and grace and favor from the king. But listen, she's jockeyed for every bit of favor she's ever got. She's competed for it. Every, she wasn't going to go in with what she thought. She said, I'm going to tap into Hagai because he knows what he likes and I'm going to go with the flow of what the... huh? I'm going to go in before. So she found love and grace and favor from the. He esteemed her greater and above all the rest. So much so he placed the crown. Here it is. I'm queening her. She's the woman. I'm putting the crown upon her head and yet another feast is held. Now remember, last time we had dinner, the the other queen was dismissed. If I was the queen, I'd almost be afraid when her said we're having a special feast. (laughs) You know. But he's honoring Esther. This is Esther's banquet. But what we cannot miss is the footnote of verse 20 that's very similar to the footnote of verse number 10. Listen, these two things placed here twice, once in verse 10 and once in verse 20, is as we're reading all this, That we just don't get drunk on the imagery and forget about where we are in the context and what's really taking place. That's really what those placements are. These footnotes are there in order to instruct us. Again, look at verse 20. So we're reading her grace that she found in his eyes and favor he found in his eyes and love she found in his eyes. Footnote, verse 20. Esther had not yet shewed her kindred nor her people as Mordecai charged her. For Esther did the commandment of Mordecai like as when she was brought up with him. He's saying, you're reading all this before you get starry-eyed. Remember, she's concealed who she is. Remember, she's just blending in. So she's found, she's found favor in the servant's eyes. She's found favor in Hegai. She's found favor of everybody that's looked upon her. She's found favor of King Ahasuerus. And she continues according to the Scripture to conceal her identity. And listen, to conceal her identity, being a Jew in a strange land meant this. She would have to eat like the Persians, live like the Persians, dress like the Persians, rather than like a Jew, or that would blow her cover. And she obeyed Mordecai as though she was like a kid all over again. Now let's let's back it up and you know, it's kind of like one of those things, you know, you see people that's had bad circumstances in life or, or such and such has happened, and they grow up in adulthood, and they make some bad choices, mistakes and mistakes, and sometimes we want to throw all of that based upon then their upbringing and what they experience. And that is true to a degree. That is true to a degree. But somewhere you become responsible so, yes, Sister Melinda, I think about how here's Esther that's lost her mother and her father somewhere. I don't know how. She was reared and raised by her uncle. Most, most ladies typically would, would, a girl would model or follow their mother's example. Esther don't have that. All that she has as her guide is her uncle Mordecai, Right? And so she lives her life to a certain degree, even as we see her in Scripture. It depends upon the government of the males in her life. What has told her, that's what she does. She continues to do with hiding her Jewishness. We even see her. what Haggai says, as the keeper of the women, she will do. Whatever pleases the king, that's what I'll do. Because the mantra of Esther has really been this. Promotion depends upon pleasing those in charge. Now let's just share something for a moment. You can read it on your own time. Psalm seventy-five, verses six and seven, says something different. It's not from the east. It's not from the west. Says, but promotion comes from where? Says it comes from the Lord. Comes from the Lord. You don't. Daniel is proof. Joseph is proof. It don't have to be the way that it seems to be. Verse twenty-one. We're running toward it. We're running toward it. I've been up here for about forty-four minutes might get wrapped in just a little bit over. 21, in those days, and this is, verses 21, 22, and 23, it's not like moving the story along right here, but it's giving us information that's gonna be used later in the story. Just like good stories do, it drops stuff that's gonna come back to later, right? Yeah. 21, in those days while Mordecai sat in the king's gate, and note, he's at the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Bigthan and Teresh, of those which kept the door were wroth and sought to lay hands on king Ahasuerus. And the thing was known to Mordecai who told it unto Esther, the queen. And Esther certified the king thereof in Mordecai's name. In other words, she told the king about it, giving credit to Mordecai that that's where it came from. And when the inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out. Therefore, they were both hanged on a tree that's big Than in Teresh, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles before the king. So here's Mordecai. He's at the king's gate. That's notable. I don't know if this happened before Esther became queen or after she became queen, but to said at the king's gate was to be one of the nobles because that's where the business of the city took place, at the king's gate. It's where contracts were written. All business was taken at the king's gate, and there's Mordecai. So I don't know if he's got a promotion now because Esther... I don't know, but he's at the king's gate nonetheless. And while he is there, he discovers over here some plot to take the king's life. Notably, Big, big Fan and Teresh, the Bible says, in wrath, or were angry, was gonna take, which you could probably do an undercurrent study throughout the book of Esther just on anger. The effects, the promotions, and Brother Mason, from what I heard on Sunday, carried that even further further for us, this whole anger fact on Sunday. He talked about that some himself, but nonetheless, and so here here it was known unto Mordecai. Mordecai tells Esther, Esther tells the king gives credit to Mordecai, an investigation is done right. You're not guilty until you're proven guilty, I guess, even then, and so they did an investigation. It was true. They had made a plot, and so the Bible says they wrote this down in the book of Chronicles that Mordecai had discovered this plan and that these two were hanged and said and done, and that's what we had from those three verses. It don't seem to apply to our story right now in the moment, but it will apply later. You just got to remember it was written in the record. It was written in the Chronicles. And I guess records are kept good in Persia, as we'll see later on. Stand with me tonight. The fantasy of favor, the fantasy of favor, the un- is the fact that you would, you would compromise who you are to obtain it. You would, you would make a compliance that though it may set you in disobedience to God, to please. That's the fantasy of favor. And what we know about most fantasies is this. It's not real. It's not real. Amen. Man, it's good to be back on Wednesday. Hallelujah. So we want to live our lives in check. Listen, if you want to pattern your life after the life of Esther, start pattern your life after her, like around, oh, I don't know, chapter, we'll get to it. Chapter such and such. Whenever she is finally to the place, if I perish, I perish. And she's going in because these are my Jewish people that are going to be destroyed. Start patterning your life there. Learn from the chapters before and pattern your life from there forward. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I thank you. God, I appreciate, Lord, your word. God, it is rich.